Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 275. Today is October 9th, 2018. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Today, I'm going to be discussing early retirement. Before I do, I want to cover one quick announcement and about what's going on in the markets. As far as announcements, those of you that have contacted me about boondocking events coming up in Arizona, I do have your contact information. As I get more details, I'll specifically send those to you and let you know what's going on. As just a general reference, the way things look like they're going to pan out is that I'm planning on being in Quartzsite in late January of 2019. Once things firm up, I'll get you those specific dates and I'll let you know where I'm going to be staying. I'll be boondocking on BLM lands. Now, this is not my own event that I'm hosting. I'm going to be attending another event, but it is a free event. It's open to anybody that wants to come. And so if I attend that, you want to come out and hang out with me, you're more than welcome to do that and stay in the BLM land. Or you could just come out for a day or so and and visit with me. And then the other potential event that I'll be co-hosting, that'll be a boondocking opportunity as well. That will take place in Flagstaff, and because at that elevation it stays cooler longer, that event probably won't take place until sometime in April. I'll let you know as I get more details, but if you are interested in attending those events, do get in contact with me. And as I've mentioned before, if you're interested in a 2019 meetup with the Wellsteading Podcast, well, let me know what major metropolitan area you're either in or where you'd be willing to travel to, and if we get enough interest, then hey, we'll potentially put something together. Now, as far as the markets, you saw that the major U.S. indexes got up. They broke above the previous highs that were put in in January, and we've come off those highs, but really only slightly. If you listen to all the fear and panic in the media rather than just looking at the numbers, you'd be petrified right now. But that's what the media does. It's their job to promote drama in order to keep you engaged. And so while it sounds like the stock market is falling apart, I mean, the truth of the matter is that as I record this, the S&P 500 right now is sitting at about 2880. That's only about 2% off an all-time record high. That's not worth being panicked over. The bad news on Wall Street right now is being perpetrated by the same fears that we saw last February when the market did drop about, you know, 10, 11%. And it's really as a result of the good news of low unemployment. The unemployment rate right now is about as low as it's ever been going back to 1969. You see, that good news correlates to bad news on Wall Street. Because low unemployment means that the cost of hiring an employee is likely to go up. Increasing wages have a major impact on profits because employee compensation accounts for, oh, I don't know, 60% or so of a company's expenses. So that's a major concern right now. The other big concern is rising interest rates. Rising interest rates likewise have an impact on corporate profits because the borrowing cost of money goes up and that creates a double whammy because rising interest rates are also likely to impact future sales because as interest rates go up, that means that both consumer and producer purchases either stagnate or go down because of the increase in the interest rate. Now, I'm not fearful of low unemployment nor rising interest rates now, just like I wasn't fearful of those things back in January. In fact, just think through the numbers. Right now, unemployment is lower than it was back in February, and interest rates are higher. And yet, where's the market? Well, it's higher than it was back in February. So these gloom and doom predictions just don't pan out. 
In any case, for right now, I'm not worried about the United States market falling apart. What concerns me more than rising interest rates and low unemployment is the high price we see right now in petroleum. However, even that is offset more than it would have been in past years because right now the United States is producing more oil than it ever has. And so as a result of that, less of the dollars that Americans are spending on fuel costs are going overseas. They're staying within our own economy, within our own GDP here in the United States. That's a major change, and that's something that we really haven't seen to this magnitude you know, going back 40, 50 years. To understand the significance of the production that's going on right now in the United States, just take a look at the numbers. Right now, the state of Texas, if it were counted as its own geographic entity, then the state of Texas would be the world's third largest producer of oil. So the state of Texas is outproducing all other OPEC or non-OPEC members other than Saudi Arabia and Russia. Think about that for a minute and think about the impact of that. Now, as far as non-U.S. markets, those have continued to drag and lag and underperform since about June of this year. I've not only been holding my international and emerging market positions, but over these past nine months or so, as we've seen dips in the market, I've continued to pour more money and invest into those areas. And I've done that because it's a contrarian position. These markets are out of favor, and I believe that's when you want to invest in things. Not when they're being hyped up, not when everybody else is investing in them, but when people are shunning those investments. To me, that's where the opportunities are. You have to remember the old uh, analogy of whenever the U.S. gets a cold, the rest of the world gets pneumonia. Well, it works the other way, too. The United States is not in isolation. If our companies and our country and our citizens are doing well here in the United States and our economy is continuing to increase, well, that means that those effects will be felt outside the United States as well. As the United States continues to buy more, they will not only buy more domestically, but they will buy more internationally. Ah, but I digress. Now, as far as today's topic, I wanted to talk about early retirement. This is a listener question I've gotten quite a lot about especially since earlier this year when I tweaked the little byline that I have on the Wellsteading podcast, you know, it says something to the effect of retirement prep or retirement preparation. And so that has attracted a lot more interest in retirement, but I'll tell you, it really didn't attract the interest that I had hoped it would. What I've attracted is a number of people that want to take early retirement. And I'm not talking about baby boomers that are thinking about retiring at 62 or 63 versus, say, 65 or 67. I'm talking about millennials that are interested in retiring at 30 or 35. So let me tell you my position on this. As far as early retirement, it's not for me. I personally never plan to retire. We'll get to that a little bit later on in this episode. But the big reasons why I think that other people should not consider early retirement And that's because early retirement is unrealistic and I also think undesirable. Now let's talk about the unrealistic side of it first. When it comes to retiring, and if you can afford to retire, well, it comes down to math. It's nothing more than a simple equation. You take the sources of income that you're going to have in retirement, and if you're truly retiring, it means you're not working. So there isn't any work income involved. It's simply what you're making from your pension and what you're making from your savings. Those two things, pensions and savings, and they have to add up to more than your cost of living. And the reason I think early retirement is unrealistic is that most people can't make that equation work. 
Most people that are in their 30s or 40s are not in a position where they have a substantial enough pension or enough retirement savings to make that equation work where the two added together can produce a long-term viable income that exceeds someone's living expenses. It's possible. It's just something that's rare. Now, one thing I always talk about on this podcast is being financially independent. And my definition for that is 10 years worth of living expenses. If you have enough money where you don't have to work for at least the next 10 years and you can cover with a reasonable amount of assurity your living expenses for those 10 years, then I call you financially independent. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to be able to cover all unforeseen events. You know, if you suddenly get cancer and you have multi-million dollar medical bills, then yeah, that could wipe your wealth out pretty quick. But in general, the foreseeable things that you can see occurring over the next 10 years. If you can cover those with the amount you have in savings, then I consider you financially independent. But listen to this closely. Financial independence does not equate with early retirement. Retirement means that you totally stop working, that you have no other sources of income. And so in my example, you don't have to work for the next 10 years. But if you start doing that when you're 35 years old, that means that you're going to be broke when you're 45. That's not a good strategy. And so when I talk about financial independence, I'm not talking about walking away from the workplace. I'm talking about putting yourself in a position where you get to make choices. You get to make all those everyday choices that can raise your quality of life without you necessarily having to stop working. Listen, I get up and work every day. I work for myself. I probably work harder and longer hours now than I ever did when I was working for the man. Ah, but we'll get back to that. Let's just think of the overall equation of early retirement. You may be 30 years old and you're debt-free and you have a hundred or maybe even a couple hundred thousand dollars saved up. And you're going to come to me and you're going to say, hey, John, I want to retire in five or 10 years. And what I'm going to tell you is that you shouldn't be thinking about retirement. You are in an excellent position. You're head and shoulders above the average American. But remember, the average American is broke. They're living paycheck to paycheck. Even if they're making large sums of money, their living expenses are just as large or larger. So yes, you are rare. You're doing fine. You're going to have a bright future ahead of you. But you shouldn't be thinking about early retirement. And it just comes back to that equation. Look at what your living expenses are now. If you're in that position that I just described, you're very likely spending somewhere between eighty dollars and $200,000 to live. I'm just talking in general terms, but you people know who you are, and that's about what you're spending. So even if you're debt-free, and even if you have a couple hundred thousand dollars saved up, you really only have a year or maybe less than a year of overall savings. Certainly not much more of it. Let me get back on track, and let's look at that retirement equation. It's your pension plus a percentage of your savings. That's what your income is going to be if you're totally 100% retired. And right now, I'm not going to cover the pension part of that equation because you either have one or you don't, and most people don't. So let's focus on the percentage of your savings. What does that really need to be? Well, I'm going to give you a conservative number, but this number has stood the test of time. And though many of you will argue with it, my opinion is that if you exceed this number that I'm going to tell you, that you're setting yourself up for failure. Now, you may not fail over five years or 10 years, but over a long retirement scenario, and that's exactly what you're going to be in if you're going to retire when you're 35 or 40 or even 50. And with that type of a long-term investment timeline, you've got to be able to weather the storm, not only through good periods like we've had over the last couple years, 
you've got to be able to survive the big catastrophic bear markets, which inevitably are going to happen. And so to accomplish that, I think that when you look at drawing down your savings or how much yield that your savings are going to be able to provide you day in and day out for meeting your spending needs, I don't think you can count on more than 4%. And again, that's a really conservative number. A lot of people are going to disagree with me, but I'll give you a couple of reasons of why I think that is the number that you need to target. The first reason is like I just mentioned, at some point you're going to go through a real full-blown catastrophic problem like we had in 2008 or in 2000. Corrections of more than 30% in the stock market do not happen frequently, but they do occur and you've got to be prepared for them and you have to be prepared that you're not going to be smart enough to totally avoid them. And so if your retirement strategy is to be drawing down your money at say 6 or 8 or 10% every year, well, that works just fine in good times. But when that catastrophic loss comes along, if you're drawing down your account on a scheduled basis of 6, 8, 10%, well, you're going to erode those savings at too high of a rate during those bad times. Because think of it this way. We're going to use 10% just because it's an easy number. The math is easy this way. Let's say you have a million dollars. And it's pretty much a perpetual fund because more or less you're averaging a 10% return. But what happens when we hit a catastrophic event in the stock market and we see something like the dot-com bubble bursting in 2000 or the Great Recession of 2008? Well, now your million-dollar nest egg is suddenly $500,000. And while in the past you've been drawing down 10% of your nest egg to support your $100,000 income, well, now you're going to have to take 20% of that nest egg because it's been reduced by 50%. And you can see from this example that if you need to take 20% of your nest egg more than a year or two, then you're going to be drastically drawing down your available money to where the reserve just runs out. Before long, that $500,000 is going to be drawn down to maybe $300,000. And now to get back to that million dollars where you started from, you're going to have to more than triple your investments. Now, on the other hand, if you take my advice and you're only drawing down 4% of your income, you have a buffer there so that when things do get bad, if your reserves do get lower, you can afford to bump them up some, and even with that, you would still be drawing down on your savings of, of less than double digits. And the other side of that, and that really gets into the second point, is that every year that you're not taking more than 4% out of your retirement money, and you're earning more than that in the marketplace, well, that means that your capital resources are growing. And so instead of just keeping a perpetual state where you have a million dollars, that million dollars is going to grow because maybe you're growing it at 6, 7, or 10%, but you're only drawing it down 4%. And so when that inevitable crash occurs, the correction or the bear market or whatever it is, you can afford to take out a little more money than normal because you've built up your capital reserves. And continuing to grow your reserves, even in retirement, is really what you need to keep that overall fund perpetual because that gets into the second point, and that's keeping up with inflation. The money that you have now for retirement, you not only have to preserve that money, you have to grow that money to stay even with the future because that money is going to lose its purchasing power. And while that's always true of people in retirement, that's especially true if you're going to retire early at 35 or 40 years old. Because you're not going to be drawing that money down over the next 20 or 30 years. You're going to be drawing that money down for the next 40 to 60 years. And at the very best, 
you can almost be assured that your purchasing power is going to be cut in at least half every 20 years, if not sooner. And so the only way you can ensure that you have an equivalent standard of living in the future is to make sure that your nest egg is always growing and at a minimum, it's growing at the rate of inflation. And so if you're drawing down your retirement savings and my recommended 4%, and if the inflation rate is 2 or 3%, that means that you have to be earning at least 6 or 7% on your money anyways. And so to keep that nest egg perpetually growing, you're drawing it down 4%, but you're adding 2 or 3 or 4% to it every year to keep up with inflation. If you don't do that, you're going to find yourself on the short end of this stick in 10 or 20 or 30 years down the future. And if you're retiring at 35, again, you're going to end up broke at 60 or 65. And if you hated work and didn't want to work when you were 30 or 35, I find it really hard to believe that you're going to want to go back to work when you're 65. And so that's why I think it's irresponsible to be drawing down your retirement savings at a rate higher than about 4%. And that gets back to the equation. If you have a million dollars and you're only drawing it down 4%, that means your total living expenses can't exceed $40,000 or otherwise you need to work and supplement your retirement income. So the question is, do you have a million dollars and can you live off of $40,000? Well, the answer to that is most people don't have the million dollars and those that do generally can't live on $40,000. And so that's why I say that early retirement is unrealistic for most people. Now, what I want to finish up on is that final thought about it's not only unrealistic, it's undesirable. What I would propose to you, instead of early retirement, your goal should be to get yourself in a position where you're either financially independent or you're at least near there. Maybe not financially independent, but you're financially secure. You're not living paycheck to paycheck. You have your expenses under control and you have a good earning stream coming in. And when you're in that kind of a situation, rather than planning for retirement, plan to build yourself a lifestyle business where every day, rather than getting up and counting down your days to retirement, you get up so excited to go out and create products and services that are in line with your talents and your abilities and your overall worldview that you get up every day and you can't wait to go to work because you enjoy what you do. To me, that's the key. That's the alternative, not only to early retirement, but to retirement period. Like I said, I get up every day and I love what I do. I never plan to retire. I have a lifestyle business that I not only enjoy doing, but it's also the kind of business that it doesn't require a great deal of physical effort. It's not like I'm laying bricks every day. And so as I age, as my joints hurt and I get arthritis and I can't move around like I used to as a young man, it won't impact my overall earnings ability. I earn my living not by my physical efforts, but by my mental efforts. And so as long as I don't get dementia or Alzheimer's, then there's no retirement date in sight for me. Why would I ever want to retire when I get paid for doing what I love? You see, when I'm out about doing the things that I love to do, I'm doing them with clients or I'm doing them as a part of a project that facilitates my overall business. That's why it's a lifestyle business. My business activities are activities that I would otherwise do anyways. So whether I'm reading a balance sheet, or for that matter, if I'm vacationing in Hawaii, it's all business related. You see, because when you go to Hawaii, it's a vacation. When I go to Hawaii, I'm visiting a client. So why would I ever want to retire from this lifestyle? As long as I can keep doing it, 
I will do it. I don't care how old I am. And that's what I would encourage you to do. Seek out the things that you love to do. Find out how to monetize it. How can you create products and services that are aligned with what you love? If you can do that, you'll not only not want to retire, but I can almost guarantee you that you will be so productive and the products and services that you create will be so superior to what else is out there that your business will thrive. That you'll not only make enough money to cover your existing living expenses, but you'll be so successful that you'll earn even more money and you'll be able to raise your standard of living. And you'll be able to do that out into the future because you're never going to worry about retirement. You're just going to get up every day and produce by doing the things that you love. And remember wealth studying principle number three. Production is the source of wealth. That's how it all ties into this. Wealth is a lifestyle. And if you can create a lifestyle that makes you productive, then you will be rewarded by the marketplace.